morning. Uh, my name is Greg, and one of the pastors here, Redemption, and um, fitting that we um, did the kind of the tag at the end of that song after the prayer because God's presence, um, there's things that God does when his presence um, fills us and changes us. And so one of those things that happened for me was over the course of um, the sabbatical that I took earlier this year. Coming back from that sabbatical, there was just a real sense of, of a refocus on uh, particularly even my own um, my leadership uh, at Redemption, uh, what I had been doing, what I hadn't been doing. And one of those things, one of those convictions I had is that I felt like we needed to go back to kind of our, our vision statement and do some honest assessment. So maybe you're familiar with this. We're going to put it up on the screen right now. Now, we say it this way. We believe God's calling for us as a church is to, to follow Jesus together, to seek kingdom transformation, first of all, in our lives, secondly, in our church, and then in our world. Now, when you say that you want to assess how well we're doing that, there's some things you, that are intangible that you don't really know. You can kind of like, you know, I can't see into your heart to know what's going on inside your head and your heart. Like, it's, that's hard to do. It's hard to measure. But you can, in fact, look at what are some of maybe like spiritual habits, like someone who has rarely read the Bible and rarely prayed, and they become someone who does that every single day. That's somewhat tangible. You can kind of go, okay, most likely that's going to do a transforming work in their hearts and minds. So we can somewhat, somewhat measure that. But one of the things that we decided to measure particularly when it comes to seeing kingdom transformation in our world, is we ask this question, how many adult baptisms have we seen in the last 18 months? We came up with a big fat goose egg, zero. Now, let's be honest, and we can actually excuse ourselves, okay, a little bit, and kind of go, well, the reality is that you know, like Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God causes the growth. So we can't manufacture that. That's a work of God. But we also know this is true, that when God calls a church to be faithful in, in expressing the gospel, building relationships, praying for people, a church of our size over the course of 18 months, we probably should be seeing more fruit in that area. So now, what I don't want to have happen when I say that is like I'm pointing the finger at you. As a matter of fact, this caused us to look in the mirror as a pastoral team. Quite honestly, I felt like, okay, this is kind of sobering for how well we have discipled our body, how well we've equipped our body, how much we've encouraged our body, exhorted our body, to do this. And so, essentially, I, okay, this is what happened, is that this passage we're coming up to in Colossians, I said, I want to preach it. Because in this passage, there is, well, if you take a look at the screen, you'll see the working title of this message, Colossians chapter 4, 2 through 6, was Redemption's Plan to Seek Kingdom Transformation in Our World. And then we got closer and closer, and I went, it's not redemption's plan. It's actually God's plan. And he's called us to be a part of that plan. When you see what we're going to talk about in this passage, we can see that's 
what happened in the life of Christ. That's how he lived. And throughout church history, this is what people did. And you're going to see that this passage highlights really three specific things. The first one is this, that we'd be a church that prays continuously for lost people and others. That we'd be a church that would walk wisely towards outsiders. And thirdly, that we'd be a church that speaks gospelly. Yeah, I made that word up. We'll come to that later. But I also thought this. I'm going to walk through this passage because it, this is what it teaches. But I do know this to be true. That if we're in general a church that has not done number one very well, then it can be absolutely overwhelming for me to come up here and go, we've got to do all three of these right now today. Because there's a, a maturing process. There's a growth process that takes place in each one of our lives to get to the point where we regularly speak gospelly. But where does it start? It starts at praying continuously. So here's my primary goal. God's Spirit may use this broadly in different ways than I'm describing this. He may have you identify something in number two or number three. But my encouragement is that we would walk away today with number one, a name of somebody. Somebody that does not know Jesus, that is in your sphere of influence. You'd be able to identify that person. Number two, that you would begin to commit to the regular habit of praying continuously for that person. And then, as this passage unfolds, God would begin to give you a greater and greater vision of how he might want to use you in that person's life beyond simply praying. Okay, let's jump right in. Grab, if you would, your Bible. Turn to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 2 through 6. What has taken place in Colossians, um, we've talked about this at length, that Paul has established this whole idea of who Jesus is and what he's done. He's greater than all things. He's sufficient in what he's accomplished and who we are in him. Chapter 4, verse 1, ends with this kind of section that talks about what a Christian household looks like. And then he jumps right in and says in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. That's where we get pray continuously. Now, at this point in time, there's nothing necessarily in that verse right there specifically that points to praying specifically or steadfastly or continuously for someone outside the body of Christ, for a non-believer. But it doesn't take long for us to realize that the context certainly is going to include that aspect. So we're going to emphasize that for the rest of this passage. Because he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, he kind of shifts then about himself. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And just so we don't get confused about the context here, Paul comes back to those Colossians and essentially comes back to us, reminding us this, which is the number, number two point, walk in wisdom. Walk wisely. 
toward outsiders, making the best use of time. And then third, what we'll talk about, which is I've described it as speak gospelly, okay, is to let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Father God, as we open up your word, um, it's easy to get to what we should do, what we what it looks like for us to put some of these things into practice. Ultimately, God, would you continually remind us of what you've already done for us? And that, God, this would just simply expression when we care deeply about people who do not know you. It'd be an expression, God, of what you've already done for, you, for us in thankfulness, in love, in compassion, in desire for others to, to come to know you just as, God, we have come to know you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Hey, let's, let's take a look at this. So um, I'm going to break it down into kind of like those three, those, those three things, those three points. But in the idea of praying continuously, there's going to be four aspects I want to highlight from this passage. The first one is this, how are we to pray? And obviously we've already stated this, to pray continuously. Now, if you have a different version of the Bible than the ESV, which is what we're reading from, if you've got, let's say, a New American Standard, NASB, or a New International Version, NIV, or maybe you've got something more kind of a contemporary language, like the New Living Translations, all three of them use the word devoted, like being devoted to prayer. And in fact, literally, that's what the word says. It's a devotion to. So think about something that you are devoted to. You pursue it. You get after it. You work at it hard. You do it when you want to do it, and you do it when you don't want to do it. It's continuous. You're getting after it, right? Let me tell you a story. So when I was a middle teen, I grew up in a, in a home that did not teach me about Jesus. And so when I became a Christian in my middle teens, I was like that man who found a treasure in a field, went home, sold everything he could to go buy that because it was so precious to me. And then it became quite apparent to me that I had some family members, my dad and my sister, who did not know Jesus. And so at 16 years of age, I began to pray for my dad daily. He didn't come to trust in Christ for 19 years later. I multiplied it. That means that had I prayed for my dad daily, it would have been 6,935 times I prayed for my dad. Now, I skipped some days. I'll be honest. I wasn't real faithful with all that. But probably 90, 95% of the times, and sometimes two times or three times a day. Now, I don't say it to pat myself on the back at all. As a matter of fact, I worked very hard at trying to convince him to trust in Christ and realize I can't do that. It's got to be a work of God. So what else could I do but beg God for that? And God worked and changed his heart. I prayed for my sister for over 40 years until I... Well, still praying for her, but at that point in time, I began to see that an indication that she had trusted Christ. So I was not nearly as faithful to her. 
But I figured, conservatively, I probably prayed for my sister 10,000 times. One of the questions I have is like, okay, God, if, if you were going to say yes eventually, why didn't you just say yes after the first prayer? Because it's hard to pray day after day after day after day. So if you're a note taker, you want to pull out your sheet of paper, get a pen out, because what I'm about to say is incredibly profound. I don't know. I don't know why he doesn't say that, but he's worthy of our trust to know that he is, he's got a plan. But I do know this. I do know what it produces in us. And this is somewhat more <laughs> profound. I'm not the first one who's ever said this, but if you think about this, how true this is. If you create new spiritual habits over time, those spiritual habits will create a new you. Um, somebody who prays 10,000 times for somebody can't help but develop prayer muscles if I would only go to the gym that often. But you understand what I mean. It's like, that's what you do when you pray continuously. You can continue asking God and develop that. See, the reality is this. Here, there's a, a, a quote I'm going to put up on the screen. Ben Patterson says this, Perhaps one reason God delays his answers to our prayers is because he knows we need to be with him far more than we need the things that we ask of him. And so sometimes he delays that timing, the saying yes, because of the things he wants to do in us. We will end our service today singing a song uh, that's titled, Yes, I Will. These are the lyrics. This is part of the lyrics that we will sing. In the waiting, the same God who's never late is working all things out. There's an aspect of coming after God over and over and over again and eventually seeing him say yes, which reminds us how important it is to seek after the one and only God who can make a difference. He alone can do it. Reminds us that we have no power on our own, that only Christ can do that. We need to seek after him, trust in him, persevere, and even your prayer life may eventually encourage somebody else's prayer life. Okay, let's dig in now a little bit more with prayer continuously, excuse me, because there's a perspective we should have. The first one is to be watchful in prayer. This is how Paul says it. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Now, when you pause and you think about that, what does watchful mean, or what does it imply? It's like praying with one eye open, right? It's like praying to see, is God going to do something? Is he going to do something miraculous? I've had a number of people who, you know, I had knee replacement surgery done in February, which means I hobble around a lot. And you guys are fantastic because many of you ask me how I'm doing, how's the knee, and, you know, hey, I've been praying for your knee to re recover. I've, had, I've not had anybody say, all right, I prayed for you yesterday, Greg, so now let's go out to the basketball court and see if you can dunk. That would be a miracle. But that would be an expectant prayer, right? Okay, I don't expect that. 
You guys probably don't expect that. However, I'm going to be asking you to identify someone in your life, in your sphere of influence, to begin praying regularly for. Most likely, if you pick a neighbor today, when you drive home, I'll bet you being watchful to see if that neighbor's outside. Because begin to pray and realize God is the only one who can do something. But he can do something. So let's watch to see when he start making moves in this person's life and how exciting that can be. The second aspect of this, he says that we ought to be thankful also. So that's the perspective we have. And so what he says is being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I love this idea and how often Paul in Colossians brings up being thankful with thanksgiving, whatever activity it might be. But to pray in thanksgiving is a reminder of we approach the throne of grace to the God of this universe who made all the universe, who right now knows the number of hairs on over 8 billion people on this planet. And he's invited you to come to the throne, and he will listen to you. And he cares about the person that you care about. How cool that is that? Great reason to be thankful, and particularly to be thankful because he's the one who can do something about it. So that's a perspective we need to have. Thirdly, is there's idea about, okay, so then who should be praying about well, Paul provides that as well. So if you look in verse 3, he says of this, at the same time, pray also for us, which means that we need to be praying for others. In a few minutes, um, we're going to be watching a video that Kyle Pollack made. We asked him to make this and tell his story about some of this process that he engaged into with a coworker, and how cool it was to, to be able to, to hear this story. But he invited me in before the conclusion of the story, he invited me in to begin praying for this particular coworker and praying for him. And what a privilege it was for me to, to pray for Kyle and this coworker. And so as you hear this story, I had this incredible privilege of playing about that much role in God working in somebody's life. And how cool is that? And God wants us to pray for one another and pray for the people that we care for. But secondly, he also says this, that we need to be people who are praying for outsiders. Now, that's a kind of a strange term, so let me show you where it's at. If you look in chapter 4, verse 5, he's talking about this in the context of walking in wisdom. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And so that's essentially what he's talking about. So if you think about the New Testament, there's a number of terms that Paul, I'm sorry, well, Jesus gives towards those outside the kingdom of God. Lost, uh, blind, they're non-believers, right? Well, Paul here mentions and calls them outsiders. And that sounds a kind of a strange term, right? It's almost like condemning. But let me show you where that comes from. You see, we have been doing, in the book of Colossians, we've been ending all of our services with this benediction. Now, don't get the idea we're going to do the benediction right now and the service is over. So, no, we've got a long way to go. 
But in this benediction, look at the, um, the, the red highlighting, okay? Because this is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. And we've been saying this as a great reminder to all of us. Let me read that sentence. It starts with, he has delivered us. It says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Bible describes those who are remaining in the domain of darkness as outsiders. And here's the sobering truth. For those who have passed from this life to the next life, having remained in the domain of darkness, will remain there forever. And you and I, if you've trusted Christ, were once there ourselves. And God, who is rich in mercy, look what it says. He has delivered us. He's the one who's done it. We didn't do it on our own. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of light. And he's called us to pray for others who are outside God's kingdom and remain in the domain of darkness. Okay, we're going to do a little exercise, make this very, very practical. Up on the screen is what we call our sphere of influence. And Pastor Nate likes using this language, so I'm going to adopt it because it's really helpful. Talk about bringing Christ to our sphere of influence. It's where we live, which could be family, near or far, or your neighborhood, neighbors, that type of thing. Where you work, where you shop, where you eat, like going out to eat, maybe coffee shops, things like that. Play, maybe recreation, maybe the gym, something like that, your hobbies. But God has put you there, so me is not me, but me is you, so you are me. You got it. So you think about yourself in your own sphere of influence. And so the next screen, this is going to help you to see and think through who God might lay on your heart. Because there may be somebody who's being drawn to you like that play little arrow. Or it could be somebody like, it's like a two-way street. Like for some reason this person's being drawn to you and you feel a great, greater and greater burden from them. What I want you to do right now is to say, Lord, who is that person that you want me to begin to pray continuously for? I'm going to give you a minute. Okay, hopefully you got a name. So we're called to pray continuously, right? We're going to pray continuously throughout this message, throughout this service. Up on the screen is a, a simple little prayer. I'm going to ask us to pray this together, which means I'm asking you to pray out loud. Now, you might mouth the words or whisper the words or speak the words, or if you want to, you can sing the words. When there's a blank there, I want you to use the person's name that God laid on your heart. And I don't want us to do this like just kind of a rote thing. 
like just because the word's up there. But we're praying to the Lord who can do this. Sincerely, let's pray. Lord, please pray with me. Lord, I pray that you would deliver Jack from the domain of darkness and transfer them into the kingdom of your beloved son. In Jesus' name, amen. I might ask you to pray a little louder next time so I know that you're doing it. Okay, thanks. Pray continuously, right? Okay. All right, so besides that, here's the last thing I want us to look at in terms of praying continuously. Yeah, we want to pray for them to come to trust in Christ. But there's something else in this passage that Paul points out that we ought to be praying for. He says in verse 3, and that is open doors. He says, he says, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. I mentioned earlier that this may feel overwhelming. You're like, you know what? I'm not sure if I want to pray that yet. That kind of puts me on the spot a little bit. I know how you feel. So to reiterate my story about my father, there was a number of years where I felt it was my responsibility to get him to believe in Jesus. And so I approached it that way. And I was going to ram Jesus down his throat until he acknowledged Jesus. It did not work. Naturally. Makes sense. And then I kind of went the other, other way, the opposite direction. And as I was praying for him, literally I was praying, here I am, Lord, send somebody else. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. And I would ask people that, that knew the Lord, that knew him, would you go talk to my dad? Would you go talk to my dad? Would you go talk to my dad? And over time, as I began to pray and realize that what it means to truly be faithful in praying, I sensed God was saying, oh, no, no, no. I put you in relationship with him. which only caused me to pray even more and said, God, you've got to open a door. You've got to open his heart to be open. And all my efforts have failed. But God, would you do that? Would you do that? So as you pray for that one person, would you be open to God giving you a vision for one day how you might be used of him for that person's life. Let's talk about the second area. Number two, this idea of walk wisely. Verse five says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. So that phrase, walk in wisdom, okay, so it's, it's kind of a biblical phrase, walk in. It means to act or to live in such a way. But he's talking about walk in wisdom. It's very challenging for to think about this. Because in the book of Colossians, over and over again, what, what Paul is doing is he's contrasting worldly wisdom and godly wisdom, calling us to embrace what is above and what is below. God's truth versus man's wisdom or approach or compelling plausible arguments. Over and over again, he challenges that. As a matter of fact, wisdom appears six times in this passage, or sorry, in this book. 
Knowledge appears eight times. Understanding appears three times. If you, do, if you would look back in chapter 1, there's a great prayer that begins in verse 9. Again, it, it goes all the way through our benediction. But in that verse 9 and 10, particularly in verse 9, it talks about being filled with the knowledge of his will. In other words, it clarifies what kind of knowledge we need. And it says, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What kind of wisdom and understanding we need? Spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, that we need to approach outsiders, not with our wisdom, not the world's wisdom, but God's wisdom. Because ultimately we know that his desire would be for us to share the gospel. And so when we approach people which does not encourage a stronger relationship, which pushes people away. Now, okay, we know this to be true, that for some people we are the aroma of life and some we are the aroma of death. But what are we doing to encourage that? We're called to walk wisely. One of those aspects of walking wisely is to understand, very important, the principle that appears in Ephesians but also appears in Colossians. And it's the way both of these books are written. And that is behavior always follows beliefs. You tell me what you believe, great. I watch you for the next month, I'll know what you really believe. It's going to flesh out in how you live. And so outsiders are going to act like outsiders. Have you ever seen, like been downtown or whatever, in a big city or something like that, and you watch a couple, and they're looking at their phone, and they're looking up, and, and then they start walking this way, and they, and they turn around, and they, they walk back and forth? Those people are, what are they? They're lost. Lost people act lost. Now, if you go ask the woman, are you lost? And she'll say yes. You ask the man, oh, no, I'm not lost. And that's a little bit about what life is like. Some people admit it, some people know it, and some people don't know it. But the reality is that lost people act lost. And so if we are viewing outsiders and we see them through the lens of how they behave all the time and are being condemning and putting them down, or we see the laws of our land and say they're going in the wrong direction. We need to change people's behaviors. Are we being wise? The wisdom of God says we need to address fundamental issues. We need to address their belief system, what's going on inside their hearts. What's motivating them is what they believe will bring them hope or bring them satisfaction or bring them whatever they crave for. That's what's driving them. There's a passage in Romans which really basically says that apart from Christ, we'd be slaves of sin. But because we are now belonging to Christ, we're now slaves of righteousness, which means our behavior can reflect, again, our belief system. Let me read to you chapter 2, verse 23 out of the book of Colossians. Because Paul argues over and over again that the earthly wisdom and even how to make yourself right before God is ineffective. He says in verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom, you hear that? An appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Bottom line is this. 
walking in wisdom towards outsiders is recognizing there's a heart issue going on. There's a mindset that has been reflected then how they behave, what they need, what our nation needs, what every person has ever needed was the gospel to transfer them their hearts and minds. So are we walking away, are we walking with wisdom that promotes, encourages, and develops a relationship with them such that we can, here we go, speak gospelly. All right, before we get there, I want to share that video that um, Kyle Pollack created for us. And it's a little bit about a story from his life and, and what it looks like for him to think and live this way. So watch the screen and we'll kind of put it up hey there. Guys, I wanted to um, share a cool opportunity that I recently had at work um, to share the gospel with a coworker. Um, I, had, I had recently shared that with Pastor Greg and when he shared um, what he had been planning to preach on this week in, in Colossians and uh, wanted to share on, he'd asked me if I'd be kind of willing to share my story um, about a couple things and, and with his main points um, coming out of things with with praying continuously, act wisely, and uh, speak gospelly. So uh, a little bit of background. Um, I, I'd gotten a really cool opportunity to share share the gospel with a coworker over the last um, several months. It had probably been a process over, you know, maybe a year or so coming into things. Um, and it had been kind of just a, a continually, you know, starting little by little and kind of working more into, um, you know, really what the theology of the gospel is and some of the hard truths that we are, we are sinful and in our need of the Savior to be able to realize um, how good the good news of the gospel is and how good Jesus is. And so kind of that took a while to work through that process of work context, but was really, really thankful to have been able to share that and um, to be even uh, through the process kind of sharing that with Greg as I was going through some things and, and knowing how to, how to have those conversations. And um, a couple of the, the things that um, came out from that um, that really kind of lined up from two of the points that Greg really uh, was going to hit on that really kind of spoke to me from that was the act wisely and speak gospelly. So, um, before I was, I think, even able to, to share some of the gospel with this coworker, um, a lot of time had been spent in, in even just living that out at work um, and kind of already priming for, oh, I, you know, to have her question, oh, why does Kyle maybe approach work-life balance a little differently or why is I, his identity maybe not as tied up in work? And so um, I'm really thankful to have been able to kind of hopefully live out some of those those principles of, of, you know, my identity is not work. I don't work for myself. And even and I throw back to um, a little bit of what Nate shared last week in that, you know, I, I don't work for man, but I work for God. And my reward is not here, but it is in heaven. And so kind of having that lens through which we're doing our work um, and, and being able to work alongside somebody else and have them starting to, to see that um, process, I think, helps people to maybe realize, oh, hey, what, what's different about this? And, and maybe what is a piece or, um, you know, um, the, the grace with which we go about work. And so that kind of comes into act wisely, that idea of always, you know, through through praying continuously to be able to um, to try to be able to share that with not just our words, and it got to the words of sharing the gospel, but also through our actions. And then coming to the point of actually speaking gospelly and being able to, to put words beyond just, like we said, just beyond the actions, but to actually share the truth of the gospel and who that is and was um, really thankful for this opportunity and, and you know, even very grateful to God for the the, um, the courage and just being able to step into that and saying, you know what, uh, let's go for this. Let's share this. I know this is one of those things that's on the list of, oh, you shouldn't talk about this at work, but again, that my work is first and foremost for Christ and for the kingdom and um, kind of even had to have some realizations as I went into this and sharing this even in a manager role. Hey, 
if something is to come of this as I'm sharing the gospel, I need to be comfortable with any consequences that might come with that um, along with it. So I was really glad to be able to do that. And, and through the process of sharing the gospel with her, we started reading through a book that um, kind of covered 12 myths about Christianity or 12 thoughts about Christianity that the world and culture and uh, popular culture might have. And so it touched on a lot of kind of the difficult subjects. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? What does the Bible say about um, women's and men's roles? And kind of a lot of these things. And um, got to talk through a ton of those things with her, but also got to very clearly at the end of that share the gospel and kind of have a challenge to her to, to really own it. And one of the cool things about this in, in trying to be faithful to to acting wisely and speaking gospelly was there was actually a lot of opportunities after having just these conversations with her where people might overhear what we were talking about or come into the office and also um, join in on conversations where I got to actually have a lot of cool follow-up conversations with other coworkers that I, I hope and pray will continue to blossom into other things. And so um, just, a, just a little snippet of some of what I wanted to share um, that might go along with, with the passage that, that Greg is preaching on today and then uh, and the message of Colossians. So thanks for the time, guys, and uh, we'll, we'll see you soon. Yeah, it's great to hear. Um, I'm going to go back to something that I kind of skipped over uh, in that one verse. And so uh, this word opportunities is up on the screen now because that's essentially what, what Kyle was saying, that God gave him opportunities. And if you remember him saying, like, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. Look at what it says here in, in God's word. It says, let your, sorry, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Once again, if you have an NASB, an NIV, or an NLT, I always have to remember what that is, you're going to see this word time. You're going to see the word instead opportunity. Okay, the, the Greek word is not chronos, which is chronology time. It's kairos, which is a moment in time. And literally that phrase means buying back a moment or an opportunity. Think about this for a second. If you would buy a ticket to watch a movie, you show up at the movie theater, okay, and you, you walk in, you sit down, and you watch the previews, and when the movie starts, you leave and go to the restroom. Then you go to the lobby, and you hang out, and you start doing, you know, work emails. Then halfway, you come back into the movie, and you go, I'm lost. I don't know what's going on. Well, it's ridiculous, right? Because you paid for something. You bought an opportunity, and you didn't use it. And so Paul's encouragement is, God's going to bring you opportunities. Let's make the best of every opportunity. Make the best of every opportunity. So it's very encouraging to hear Kyle like, I'm going to go for it. All right. We're going to go back to the prayer. We're going to pray again, if you don't mind. Let's do this a little bit louder this time, okay? Inserting the name that God has laid in your heart. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would deliver Jack from the domain of darkness and transfer him into the kingdom of your beloved son. Help me to walk wisely to him, making the most of every opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Again, sincerely, let's pray this. Last point we see in this passage is the idea of, of speaking gospelly. All right. Yeah, it's kind of a goofy thing to say. But I want to show you if there's three aspects of how we're supposed to speak. The first one is gracious, gracious towards outsiders. He says this, let your speech always be gracious. What does that mean? 
We can think about it this way, that we represent Jesus, right? We represent his life and his message. And the reality is that most people are attracted to gracious speaking people, right? They are. Okay, so which of these would characterize your speech around outsiders? Would people on the outset of Christ view you, your speech as kind, as positive, as caring, as humble, as patient? So notice this, that those type of speeches being being gracious, there's an expectation that Paul presents in this. Let your speech always be gracious. And then he goes on to say at the end of that, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. There's an aspect of it that's going to create an opportunity for conversation. In essence, this idea that there's going to be opportunities there because of the attractive nature of being gracious. Secondly, he says, seasoned with salt. So I say salty, right? Okay. Now, there's a debate on what salt means in the New Testament because salt can be a preservative. There's not a lot of refrigerators around to plug into back several thousand years. But also can add flavor to it. In either way, your words spoken in such a way can create a greater greater hunger for more. So, the guy that I prayed for, you may or may not have heard the name, hopefully you were saying your own name, but the name I, that I prayed for is a next-door neighbor. His name is Jack. My wife and I have been out to eat with he and his wife a couple times. The most recent time, something came up, um, and I said to Jack, in a salty way, I was hoping it was salty, I said, it sounds like, and it seems like you're angry with God. And he goes, oh, no, I'm not religious at all. She is. And then the conversation kind of went, whew, way out there somewhere. So we got done eating. We got back in the car together because we were driving together. We pulled up in our driveway, and we all get out of our car, and they start walking to their yard. And Jack turns to me and goes, hey, I would be interested in talking more about this. Out of the blue. I didn't expect that. But there's a something about our speech being gracious and seasoned with salt that is, in fact, hopefully appealing so that there be more conversations. There's one last thing. Well, actually, we're going to pray again. because we're. Have you noticed the prayer is growing? To include some of these things? Have you guys picked up on that? Your volume has gone like this much. I want to hear you. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would deliver Jack from the domain of darkness and transfer him into the kingdom of your beloved son. Help me to walk wisely toward him, making the most of every opportunity. Help me to speak graciously. In Jesus' name, amen. There's one last aspect of this. And we've got to go back to verse 3. And it has to do with sharing the gospel clearly. Because it's a prayer that obviously Paul wants on behalf of him and his companions, but it's also something we ought to be praying for ourselves. He says in verse 3, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word 
to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. The mystery of Christ. Can I mention it appears over and over again? Actually, I'm sorry, it appears three times, three times in the book of Colossians. A mystery is something that needs to be revealed. A mystery is something that we don't get right away, that requires some insight or explanation or revelation, you might want to say. See, the reality is that as we're praying for those outside, the, pray, the name that you've been praying for, they don't get it. They can't get it unless God's Spirit works in our hearts, which makes sense why we would pray that we would declare the mystery of Christ and that we would make it clear and that if God would so choose to bring understanding, bring conviction of sin, and trust in Christ as your Savior, then he could do that. And he would use those words of ours. And what a incredible privilege it would be that someday you would be standing or sitting in front of that person you've been praying for and you could walk them through the gospel message of Jesus and they would understand and they would bend the knee and trust in Christ as their Savior. That ought to prompt us to pray again, to continue to pray continuously. So you'll notice that we've added something at the end. Let's pray again, again with all sincerity, knowing we're praying to the Lord of the universe who hears us and can do what we ask of him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you deliver Jack from the domain of darkness and transfer him into the kingdom of your beloved son. Help me to walk wisely toward him, making the most of every opportunity. Help me to speak graciously, and please open a door that I may share the gospel clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Hopefully, as you pray that prayer, and I'm going to leave it up for a second. Somebody in the first service said, hey, can you leave that up? Because I want to take a picture of that, so maybe you want to do that. But I'm going to leave that up there um, as a prompt for us as we begin to go into the next part of our service, which is taking communion. Because as we take communion, what it does remind us of this is, is that we, because of what Christ has done for us, we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son by his grace and mercy. So I'll pray. The band's going to come up and start playing. But as the Lord leads you, to remember what he's done through his son Jesus, that the body of Christ, represented by the cracker, was given for us upon the cross, that his blood was shared on our behalf. That's why we take the cup as a reminder, that that's the basis for our salvation. And we can rejoice and reaffirm our faith and trust in what he's done for us. And then I'm going to ask you, as you sit down, as best as you can remember, because there'll be other words up on the screen, to pray once again for that person. Now, here's my commitment. My commitment is going to be whenever I'm leading a meeting of some sort, whether, you know, in a regroup or something like that, 
I'm going to try to remember to have us do this, to pray that kind of a prayer. I'm going to pray that us as a body would embrace this idea of praying continuously for those people that, that God's laid on our heart. One of the best things you can do to help you be accountable to that is to share with somebody as the service ends, to turn to somebody next to you and go, my person is blank. Let's pray. Father God, grateful that you have delivered us, that we have incredible hope in you. We have this hope, Father, of what you've done for us. And we have this remarkable hope, God, 